Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Remain standing, take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4, and find the 14th verse, reading from the New King James. Thank you, Toby and team. Appreciate you. Somebody said, how do I get to be a part of that amazing team? Uh, the same way you get to be a part of every amazing team is uh, fill out that card that's in the seat pocket in front of you or on the app, and uh, you can get involved and serve in all of those different capacities. They meet times, and they'll train you, and you can be a part of uh, media team, or the worship team, security team. All right, here we go. All the different teams, children's team. Luke 4, youth team. Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. He was handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, verse 21. And he began to say to them, today the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. Father, move in power like you did in the first service and even in a greater way. Those that are listening on all of our different platforms, those that are watching perhaps today, that this word would run swiftly, that you would perform your good pleasure as it goes out and doesn't return void. I pray and ask that it would have eternal consequences, not only in our lives, but all who we come in contact with. Holy Spirit, come. Release your power in a marked way. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. I have a prophetic word for that uh, good-looking fella with the green shirt. You're looking at me. you got glasses on behind the man. Yep, that's you. Would you raise your hand at me so I know you? I'm talking? Okay, this is for you. This week is going to be an amazing week for you. And uh, there's been some there are some decisions and things that are set up before you. There's a confidence that's come in your voice before the Lord in your time of prayer. And the Lord says, I heard what, you, what you've asked for. I've seen your need, I've heard your cry, and he's going to grant to you favor. And I don't mean like three weeks from now. You'll have favor three weeks from now. I mean like this week. And, and he's going to lead you the right way. You're going to make the right decision. My hand's upon you, says the Lord. That confidence in prayer, that confidence in the things of the Spirit is evident not only to your wife, those that know you, but before heaven and before hell. Hell is nervous when you're getting up in the morning because you're known in heaven and feared in hell. Come on, somebody say amen. So be encouraged with that. July 4th, the celebration of our nation's birthday. Do you receive that word right there? Was, it, was that all right? All right, good. Praise God. July 4th, celebration of our, nation, our nation's birthday. And on July 4th, 1776, was a document that was signed that changed the course of history. I want to read to you a section of it. It's the Declaration of Independence. And when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume 
among the powers of earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinion of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's all say that. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers from such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should be changed for light and transient causes, and according to all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than the right themselves to abolish in a form which they are accustomed it goes on and on, and it talks about the abuses, and I think it lists, forgive me if I don't have it right, I think it's 27 different grievances to why these 13 colonies would break free from Britain. And it is a profound document that stands to this day really uh, amazing to me, the Declaration of Independence and then our Constitution. And it really did change history. It was a declaration of liberty. It was a declaration of freedom. The men who signed that document all gave dearly, and I'm going to read to you some of what happened to these signers. There's a powerful book called The Signers of the Declaration of Independence. 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, five signers were captured by British as traitors tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. They signed and pledged their lives, their fortunes, and what they called their sacred honor. That's language we just don't hear too often these days. Their sacred honor. What kind of men were they? 24 were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. 9 were farmers and large plantation owners. Men of means, well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that it would very well cost them their lives. And they signed it. Because they believed in freedom. They believed in liberty. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter and trader, saw all of his ships swept into the sea by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay for debts and died in rags. Thomas McKeem was hounded by the British, forced to move his family constantly. He served in the Congress without pay. Imagine that. 
His family was in hiding. His possessions were taken from him. Poverty was his reward, at least in this earth. Poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of Ellery, Clanmer, Hall, Walton, Grimwit, Heward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters, and the owner, Thomas Nelson, gently urged George Washington, General George Washington, to open fire and completely destroyed his house. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. They had 13 children who fled for their lives. His fields and gristmill were, were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Similar fates. Such were the stories and the sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing morons. They were soft-spoken men of means and education, actually. They had security, they had valued liberty, and standing tall and straight unwavering, they pledged, they pledged for the support of the quote, for the support of this declaration with firm reliance upon the protection and divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our, fortune, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I've heard recently in some of the rabble-rousing upsets across America, people saying that they were very much like the founding fathers. Well, it's a bunch of nonsense. And so I, uh, I get upset when I'm going to do this for this service. Take that pad, holder, please. I'm, I'm going to do this for this service. Does anybody else love America? Is there any other patriots in this place? Is there anybody else that gives honor to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the God, one God, God in whom we trust, one nation under God, indivisible? Thank God for our military. Thank God for the history of this country. Thank God for these United States of America. Give a shout to God. You may be seated. My father was a Marine. I should say he is a Marine. Because he would not, I think I said that once, he said is. He's 82, he'll, tell, he'll still tell you, is a Marine. He calls me or texts me now, my dad texts at 82. It's a Marine Corps birthday. He tells me when the Marine Corps birthday is. He tells me, you know, Semper Fi. He sends me little things in email about some Marine Corps thing. He is a diehard, and so I grew up in my home. Dude, your hat came off 
and your hand went over your heart and you, you, you sang the song and you, you said the, the Pledge of Allegiance, you, you know, you, you did it, you did it. I will just tell you, it chaps my hide to see anybody. They just don't know, you know, I think the thing is, is that we just don't teach American history anymore. Well, they made a declaration, but in order to bring about the declaration, they had a war. And uh, I will tell you as we get into this now that you can make a declaration in your life and then you're going to have to fight for it. Where do these signers, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, get their concept of liberty? Do you know where they got it from? They got it from men like George Whitfield. They got it from the gospel. That's where they got it from. And if, if, you, if you don't agree with me, it's only because you read some revisionist version of history instead of what the real history is. They had a great outpouring of, of the Spirit of God, and, and people called on Jesus Christ, their Savior. There was slogans and phrases in the Revolutionary War like, no king but King Jesus. You don't hear that all the time, but that's the truth. They said, no king but King Jesus. George Whitfield was a revivalist. They didn't even have microphones. They didn't have sound systems. He would wear out he would wear out saddles every three to six months. Anybody ever have a horse? You know what it is to wear out a saddle? I'm talking the saddle, falling apart, wear it out, can't wear it, wear it anymore. Hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of miles going on horseback from town to town and from village to village and, and preaching the gospel and people getting saved. Thousands would come. I said thousands, thousands. This is history. This is American history. There's no other nation like the United States of America, not one. Now, I, I, I've been around a little bit, and now I'm in my 50s. I know I might look like I'm 30, but I'm in my 50s. I've traveled around the world quite a bit, maybe not as much as some, maybe more than others. I've seen other nations, other forms of government. There is not one other country like the United States of America that was founded on God's word. 96% of the founding fathers are Christians. When they spoke, their language was filled with scripture. Where do they get the, the idea of liberty and freedom? They got it from the gospels where they got it. Let me read to you some quotes that I have really enjoyed. And some of these are familiar, and some of them you've never heard before. Samuel Adams. You're like, oh yeah, I had one of those last night. No. The... <laughs> the founding father, former president, says, it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Samuel Adams. That's what I hope to do today. I hope to set a Holy Ghost brush fire in your heart that you would rise up as, as irate and godly and holy, filled with the zeal of the house of the Lord and zeal for this amazing country that he placed you to live in. And you say, well, I don't like America. Then move. Go, go check out some other country. Stupid can you be and breathe. We have issues? Yes, it's filled with people. Thomas Jefferson, if you're offended, I ain't hardly started. 
kind of political. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why don't you just take a praise break for a second? Thomas Jefferson. Oh, this is great. I just love this. A strong body makes the mind strong. As to the type of exercises, I advise a gun. G-U-N, a gun. While this gives moderate exercise to the body, I'm, <laughs> what is that, that loading uh, gives moderate exercise when you're loading your gun, he says, to the body. It gives boldness, enterprise, and independence to the mind. <laughs> Sounds like an Alaskan. It's Thomas Jefferson. Games played with the ball or others of that nature are too violent for the body and stamp no character on the mind. Let your gun, therefore, be the constant companion on your walks. I just like that. Okay, it doesn't exactly tie to the message, but it gives you an indication of how differently they thought. How differently they thought. He said this, every citizen, Thomas Jefferson, every citizen should be a soldier. This is the case with the Greeks and the Romans. It must be that of every free state. You see, they knew that the, the freedom and the liberty of the United, these United States of America depended upon you, depended upon me and the republic and voting and living right and loving God. It, 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 without, without God's word, it, our whole constitution falls apart. Oz Guinness called it the, the golden triangle. You lose God's word, the constitution fails. There's whole people that like worship the constitution. We don't worship the constitution. The constitution is, a, I believe, an, a document that was put together even led by the Holy Spirit, people were used to write that. But without the God of the Bible, it becomes nothing but paper. It will not stand. And it's miraculous that it has stood as long as it has. Patrick Henry is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Forbid it, almighty God, Patrick Henry said. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Abraham Lincoln, America will never be destroyed from the outside if we falter and lose our freedoms. It will be because we destroyed ourselves. John F. Kennedy said, let every nation know whether it wishes well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, assure to assure the survival and the success of liberty. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what can you do for your country? I think that'd be a great slogan for the body of Christ. Ask not what the church can do for you, but what can you do for the church? I think that would be a... Lyndon B. Johnson was president when I was born in 1966. He said this. This then is the state of the union, free and restless, growing and full of hope. So it was in the beginning, so it shall be, while God is willing and we are strong enough to keep the faith. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't, pass it. we didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. 
You must teach your kids. Listen, I'll tell you the thing, the only thing that grieves me. Can I just tell you what my, my, my awareness now as I'm preaching to you, I can feel heaven shaking. I can feel the conviction of the truth of these words. But what, what, what saddens me or, I mean, I'm just looking for God to breathe on it. How, how can one bald guy in Alaska make a difference? We need our country to wake up. We need our country to come out of a slumber, and it can't just be one guy up in Alaska. And I know there's many others, but for the love of God, may America wake up out of a slumber. You've got to teach your kids. You've got to mentor them and disciple them. You have to live it yourselves. Can you say amen? Man, I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost. Ronald Reagan says, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. I fear that that's fallen away. I'm telling you, have dinner, lunch, breakfast, have a meal with your kids. I'm telling you, shoot, I'm practically commanding you. I'm telling you as strongly as I can tell you. Put the phone up. Put the newspaper down. Look your babies in the face. Talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. Single mothers, single fathers, whatever the case may be, have conversation around the table where they can talk about their fears, where they can share the political views that they just got from some crazy leftist. And they can work that out. Yeah, but what about, what, hey, what about, hey, the founding fathers who were all slave owners? You want to tell me about that? You want to tell me about that, Pastor? Oh, what happened, church? You ain't yelling right now. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Well, what about that? Some declaration of independence when they had slaves. Go do your homework. I'm not even going to tell you the answer. I want to. I'll tell you tonight. Now I can't because some of you, no matter what, your, your skidoo is going to call you. And The truth is that almost all of them were abolitionists. And they had to make a very difficult choice to fight slavery or to fight for their independence. So they went for the independence first. And King George mandated that they have slaves. So you go study that thing out. And, and again, wicked as it is, it was so commonplace in culture that it was all over the world. If you look in Scripture, Israel was made slaves. People were made slaves. I'm not saying it's right, but you can't dismiss what was, what was right in the midst of that. You say, well, they were just a bunch of wicked men. So were you, and you're going to heaven if you've received Jesus. I just offended the other third of the church. Let's continue to see if we can't get everybody. I'm an equal opportunity offender. We're just going to get everybody at some point during the service. And this next quote, will it show that I'm trying to be fair? There is not a liberal America. It's a great, this is a great quote. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There's the United States of America. There's not a black America and a white America and a Latino America and an Asian America. There is the United States of America. Tonight, we gather to affirm the greatness of our nation, not because of the height of our skyscrapers or the power of our military or the size of our economy. Our pride is based 
on a very simple premise summed up in the Declaration of Independence 200 years ago, said Barack Obama. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful quote. Let me read this to you, and then we'll get into the text that we read Luke 4. We proclaim the ideals of the Declaration of Independence, and we will never surrender the spirit and the courage and the cause of July 4th, 1776. Upon this ground, we will stand firm and unwavering. In the face of lies meant to divide us, demoralize us, and diminish us, we will show that the story of America unites us. And we will show that the story of America unites us, inspires us, includes us all, and makes everyone free. We must demand that our children are taught once again to see America as did Reverend Martin Luther King when he said that the founders had signed a promissory note to every future generation. Dr. King saw that the mission of justice required us to fully embrace our founding ideals. Those ideals are important to us the founding ideals. He called on his fellow citizens not to rip down their heritage, but to live up to their heritage. Above all, our children from every community must be taught that to be American is to inherit the spirit of the most adventurous and confident people ever to walk the face of the earth. Americans are the people who pursued our manifest destiny across the ocean into the uncharted wilderness, over the tallest mountains, and then into the skies, even into the stars. The 45th president of the United States at Mount Rushmore yesterday, Donald J. Trump. We've got to see America rise in the liberty that has been purchased by the blood of our soldiers and, and the, the efforts of our people. We've got, can you put your hands together for the United States and put your hands together for, for our God, amen? One nation under God. Come on, say it. One nation. I can't hear you. One nation. Indivisible. With liberty and justice for all. Wow. God, help our president, I pray. Make him a defender of the unborn, as he is, and overthrow ungodly legislation, a protector of marriage, a champion of our liberties, as I believe that you have done. And God, as it says in Galatians 5, may we stand, therefore, fast, in the liberty which Christ has given us, never again to have a yoke of slavery in the name of Jesus. The forces of darkness are at work in this country to bring a yoke of slavery on every single person. Well, I'm so glad you came to church today. Why don't you tap your neighbor and say, whoa, it's just wonderful to be in church. Oh, praise the Lord. Happy fourth. I sound like Mickey Mouse there for a second. All right, let's look at this. Um, Jesus reads here a section from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. We do have notes for you, and we'd encourage you to use those as we move along. And the reading of Isaiah here in Luke 4 is like a declaration of independence. I mean, it reads like it. Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Gospel means good news, good news to the poor, healing of the brokenhearted, liberty or freedom to the captives. He's reading a declaration of deliverance and freedom to the people that are hearing it, and to you. 
and to me. And he's, and he's reading this declaration of independence. I mean, it really is so similar to me. Who the Son sets free is, is free indeed. The one thing that you have to understand is that even though he's declared freedom to the captives, there's still a war. Now, Jesus paid the ultimate price to win that, but you still need to possess it. He offers the promised land, but we need to possess the promised land. All the promises of God are yes and amen. And if I could quote my daughter, except in the Moffat version, it says, they're, an, they're not an ambiguous blend of maybe. The promises of God are yes and amen, but you, you're going to have to fight for it. He not only declares liberty, he demonstrates freedom. And he does that throughout Luke and, of course, in all the other Gospels as well. In Luke chapter 4, he demonstrates freedom. Luke 4, 1 through 13, he overcomes all of the attacks of Satan, Satan's temptation. He's fully God, fully man, and he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And he's tempted at all points, and yet he's able to overcome. How? By the Word. He's able to overcome. Jesus overcame all sin, and as a result, you can overcome all, all temptation. You can overcome sin. When we yield to temptation, you lose your freedom. The devil's a bad devil. He'll dangle something in front of you. Then you're like, and you go for it. You grab it. And he's like, oh, you ate that. You touched that. You did that. He, he, he seduced you with it. Then you went for it. Then he backs up and blames you. He's bad. Come on, the devil's a bad dude. God releases this declaration of independence and he demonstrates what real freedom is. He overcomes temptation. He, he casts out demons from this guy in church. Luke 4, 31 to 40, 37. There's a man there in, in the synagogue who has this demon and he, it's the first miracle of Mark as well as Luke. You say, well, why, why would they write that? Well, that's what happened. But it also is a picture of what God came to do, that even religious people, even religious people can end up bound. And he came and he set them free in the synagogue. You know what a shocker that was for people? They're like, oh my gosh. Are you telling me, are you telling me the devil's come to church? Well, shoot. Yeah, yeah, they do. A number of years ago, many years ago, not this church, there was a man about three or four rows back and Satan showed up at the church service, everybody ran for their lives, the pastor included, right out the side door, and the whole place cleared out. The only one standing there, sitting actually, was this man. Had his arms folded. The devil said, aren't you scared of me? He said, heck no. I've been married to your sister for years. <laughs> By the way, we do have a marriage ministry, and it's powerful, and we can help you if you feel like you're married to Lucifer. We can get set free from that. What does that have to do with the text? I'm just telling you, many people don't understand that you can be bound. You, you can, we, we have people be free today. It's, 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 Jesus never castigated anybody when he set them free from demonic bondage or oppression, ever. He just did it. That's what he did. We have a friend who's an evangelist, powerful, spirit-filled evangelist, was invited to a, 
very, very large church that operated a little bit differently than we did. And we love the body of Christ, but their view, their vision of operating and, and expanding the kingdom was what we would call more of a seeker-friendly model. So you don't want to say anything that would be offensive. I'm like, we're like the opposite end of that. We're going to offend you, and if you keep coming, well, praise the Lord. We don't offend you on purpose, but I mean, God's word offends. And I'm not against a seeker-friendly model. That's just not how God called us. We love the body of Christ, and the seeker-friendly model has is, is been powerful of reach, reaching many, many people. And, uh, you know, Pentecostals have been known for being crazy. No, really. Herking, jerking, screaming, shouting, and then at home they got no character. They don't handle their finances right. You know, pulpit pounding, but then, like, no root. Is that the way it is here? No, it's not. You stick around, you'll find that out. Anyway, this guy went to one of these churches, thousands of people. And as he's preaching, the youth pastor starts manifesting a devil. What did that look like? Something like that. I don't know what it, I don't know what it looked like. It was just obvious that he was manifesting some kind of dark thing writhing around on the front, which was quite a shock to everybody else. There was visiting that day in that church was these Teen Challenge students that had learned about deliverance. And uh, they went over. They didn't know who the guy was, so they just went over and laid hands on him. And, uh, and, and he got free. That was quite a staff meeting the following week that they had about that service. What was that about? Listen, understand that the devil, he, he wants to come to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10 and 10, it's, it's the gospel in one verse, the good news in one verse. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have Life and life to the fullest. Life abundantly. Luke 4 is the Declaration of Independence, and then he demonstrates it throughout the Gospels. The Declaration of Independence for the United States of America was a Declaration of Independence. Then they had to fight for it, and impossible odds, and they were able to win, and it cost them everything. And your freedom, my freedom, was purchased by Jesus. It cost God his very only son for you to be free, but you have to fight for it. You have to maintain your freedom. You have to maintain liberty. It does, doesn't come because you smiled and came to church today. He demonstrated healing, the rebuking of the fever of Peter's mother-in-law in Luke 4, 38 and 39. He, he did healings and deliverances, sunset healings, we call it, at sunset there in Luke 4 and 40. And the reason they did that is they figured he wouldn't heal on the Sabbath, so they waited till the sun went down. Then they brought him, Sabbath is over, then they brought him all of the, all of the sick and the infirmed. And he rebukes a fever. It's a picture of having authority, dominion, if you will, over sickness. Luke 4, 40 and 41 Again, sunset healings. Luke 5 and 20, he forgave their sins and he healed the man. So, so Jesus came to bring freedom. Jesus came to bring freedom and the demonstration of freedom and the declaration of freedom found in the Gospels is why you have a country that declares freedom and liberty and why the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is, is written the way that it is. It talks words like providence. But they don't use those words anymore. Providence, another word for that is God's sovereignty or providence. He, he does what he wants, when he wants to, whoever he wants to. The Declaration of Independence, a war was fought, and, and for our, our independence, a war was fought in the death of Jesus. And of course, his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. 
that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And I love John 3 and verse 3 says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, let me just say it this way. If you're going to be, if you're going to live in America, you're going to be an American citizen, you're going to have to be born here. If I could just sim simplistically say it that way, you have to be born here or your parents have to be American citizens or you have, listen, all of us have immigrated. Everyone here is an immigrant. Okay. Unless you're like, you know, native American, you know, Setauket tribe or something a First Nations person. Somebody said, I've got Cherokee. I think everyone in the nation has some Cherokee. I'm not sure what that means. I've heard that. I'm part Cherokee. How many times have I heard that? And, uh, you know, you can go and get a DNA test and give a little spittle and a swab and send it off. And, and uh, I did that and found out that I'm 1% African. So, hallelujah. <laughs> and other. Go ahead, touch your nose. Go ahead. I dare you. It's all right. Touch your nose. Is it cold? You're a mutt. Everyone here is a mix. <laughs> It's a mixed multitude. People are like, I'm not touching my nose no matter what he said. I'm not to touch my nose. Cl Clovis, I'm not to touch my nose. <laughs> Pastor Karen told me to say that if that's offensive. Amen. Okay. How are you, how are you made an American? You're, you're, let's just say you're born here. You could immigrate, whatever. But I mean, how many of you citizens? Okay. All right. Make sure you register to vote. It's really, really important. How are you born into the kingdom? There's only one way. Now, you could have grandparents and your father, your mother, your servant. There's only one way. You must be born again. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how you enter into the kingdom. Well, how do you live free in Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked, and we'll go right to the notes. Romans 6, verse 11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Therefore, verse 12 don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer part of yourselves as to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So what do you think the blank would be to fill in there? Die to sin. If you want to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased, you're going to have to die to sin. You can't continue to sin. You can't continue to do wrong. You say, well, I'm just a Christian. I went to church. You probably got demons too. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you came to church today. Like, yeah, you you got to stop sinning. You have to stop sinning. It's a choice that you make every day to either live for God or don't live for him. You know, all that food that came out yesterday, I mean, that amazingly roasted pig and all those desserts but I had already pur purposed in my heart that I was not going to I was not going to deviate from the from my daily commitment and which changes a little bit from day to day but <laughs> but I knew there was going to be great temptation there for me so when I came up to the dessert section I was like it's plastic. I just kind of moved along, and then I saw like the cloud of the size of a man's hand <laughs> rising up from the table, and it said, keto dessert. 
I try to stay away from sugar and stuff. And so I served myself up a piece of that. And then Pastor Karen knew it was going to disappear. And we were in two separate lines. And she showed great love for her husband by getting me a piece. And I had two pieces. She never got any. Well, that's, that's love. That's marriage, isn't it? God bless you, sweetheart. I had to die to myself a little bit. Listen, that's just a little simple example. If you don't die to you, you don't put your flesh down and you keep yielding to sin, you're not going to be free. You're going to be bound. You've got to choose every day. Every day it's a choice. You can live in freedom or choose to sin and live in, as a slave to sin. Every generation's got to make those decisions. Every elected official's got to make those decisions. You're going to live right. You're going to do the right thing. You're going to live according to God's word. Or you're not going to. Every generation does. And if you don't live according to God's word, then you're going to end up in bondage. You know, ultimately. I mean, maybe not the first time you sinned, you know. But if you keep at it, you're going to end up in trouble. That's one of the reasons it's so important for us to come to church. Because you hear the word like this, it could just be convicting. And, you know, your, your, your mind can be clouded by, by culture. And you can... You, you, can, you can begin to talk yourself into things that, that are, oh, it's not, that, it's, not that, it's not that big a deal, really. It's really not that big a deal. Like, you know, the Lord knows my heart. He knows my heart. You know, I was, I was praying this week, and um, I, I, received a new, I received a new, I don't know how to call it, a fresh importation. I received, I wouldn't call it a new mantle, but an increase in God's presence and power on my life. Can I tell you how it happened? It wasn't fun. Uh, but, you know, he didn't save you to have fun. He saved you to have life and life abundant, and there are times where you're going to have to do some things and you don't feel like you're doing it. So there I am, minding my own business, all up on my private Idaho for all the B-52ers, and there I was worshiping God. It's a band from the 70s and 80s. Pastor Karen can do the dance. You want to do the dance? It'll be fun. Okay. Maybe later. So I'm, I'm praying, and the Lord speaks to me and says, you have a problem with your heart. I'm like, really? Yeah, I do. And he shows me what it is, which I'm not going to tell you. It's private. He shows me what it is. And, and when I say I had a problem, I had like a 1% problem. Okay, So it's not like, it's not like Pastor Karen recognized it and she had rebuked me already. It wasn't like it was obvious to anybody. It was only between me and the Lord, and the Lord showed me that right there. I'm like, ah. Now, the thing that was crazy was when he revealed it to me, and it was, a, it was a, an issue with someone else, one of my very closest friends. It was an issue that I perceived him to be having. So I'm praying for him that God would touch him in this issue he has. It wasn't you, Pastor Vince. All right. So I'm praying, God, you know, won't you help him? And I'm praying. And so there I am. And the Lord's like, yeah, it's that. I'm like, wait, no, that's not me. That's him, Lord. No, it's you. And I thought, oh, wow. And I, I embrace that. I'm like, Lord. And then he starts showing me how that hindered me from praying for him. How he starts showing me how that effect was working in my life. How that, that was stirring in me. And, and because of my lack of prayer, in a way, providing prayer covering for my brother, 
that the enemy was working on him to wear him down. And so I found myself like, I started seeing, and please understand, this is not some 10% thing that I had going on and I fought it. It was totally out of the blue. And I just thought, oh God. And I saw how wicked it was and how I was deceived. And I thought, man, Lord. He's like, you need to call him and you need to call him now. And then you need to call your pastor and tell him too. I thought, well, praise the Lord. I called my, called my brother, told him what was going on. And, uh, and he, and he kind of chuckled. And I said, let me pray for you. And I prayed this prayer and I know God touched him big time. And things changed. Something shifted. He called me the following day just to say hi and stuff. I mean, we used to do that all the time, but it's this little division started. Ever so slight. And if you would ask me if everything is okay between you and him, I'd like, oh yeah. If you asked him, he'd say, oh yeah. But there wasn't that kind of closeness that there was. And, and I didn't even notice it really. But just a little bit, and I knew it was him. Except... Well, it still might be him. I don't know. That's between him and Jesus. But the Lord put his feet. He still might have some issues. I don't, I don't know. He didn't confess to it when we were on the phone, but I confessed to mine. And I, I prayed. And then I called Dr. Morocco. And um, I told Dr. Morocco what was going on. And he, and he laughs. <laughs> That's good, Pastor Daniel. I said, yeah. He said, oh, I'm proud of you, son. I said, thanks. He said, well, don't ever forget. You'll reap what you sow. And I thought, you'll reap what you sow. My, my, my. The enemy loves to cloud your mind, cloud your thinking, cloud your heart, which brings me to this, the next point. You, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. Turn to Philippians 4, and could I have three security guards, please? All right, there's nothing wrong, everything's good. All right, these are trained. Thank you, young man, with the amazing, amazing haircuts up here. Your hair's, your hair's fine too, by the way, this is amazing. All right, so we have trained armed security guards. You all know that? Okay, we'll never have a problem. Everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, but we're also not stupid. So they, if, if these guys are guarding me, so I'll just move forward a little bit. Okay, so, you know, they're protecting me, let's say, right now, all right? So if you tried to get at me, it'd be a mistake. Something would happen. It'd be bad. Did you get, you get it? Absolutely, right? All right, thanks, fellas. Put your hands together for them. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, watch this. We're talking about the declaration of independence for the Christian has been declared. Our declaration of independence is based upon the Word of God. The declaration, you don't have to be bound, you don't have to be broke, you don't have to be addicted, you don't have to be afflicted, you can be free, you can, you can be loosed, you can walk in freedom, power and authority. Can you say amen? How do you do that? Keep yourself from sin. Number two, or B, guard your heart. Guard your heart. It would have been easy for me to take that little sliver and, and, and just shoo the voice of the Lord away. Because I don't have porn problem. I don't have any of those besetting sins or those different things. Like I don't have that. I don't have that going on. I don't. So I could have just been like, ah, Lord, you know, it's not a big deal, really. 
But somehow, probably because y'all pray for me, my wife prays for me, somehow I was sensitive and tender enough, somehow, by the grace of God, I'm not seeing anything of myself. It's a miracle. I was able to acknowledge that, and then I felt this, I felt this increase of authority. Some of you want to walk in a new level of power, but you're not willing to guard your heart. You're not willing to repent. You kind of you still want to do this, your little pet sin. You know, the level of Christianity you have is what you do in the dark when nobody will find you. That's really good right there. The level of maturity you have is what you do when nobody can catch. You say, well, it's only me. It's my life. I can do it. Yeah, your life. And if you dip yourself in a sewer and then stand in your house, are you telling me the rest of your family aren't going to smell the stench that's on you and the demons and, and the powers of darkness see what you're doing and they're using you like a little illustration for help? You have to, you have to keep yourself from sin. You've got to declare it every day and live free. Can you say, Ben? You've got to guard your heart. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with requests. Present, present your request to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is literally what they were just doing to me. So if you allow for anxiety and you allow for things in your heart and in your mind that should not be there, and he goes on to tell us, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, that's what he's, that's what he's telling us. That's what you should be thinking on. When you allow other things in there in your thought life and you begin to think on other things other than that, then what ends up happening is your mind is no longer guarded and your heart is no longer guarded and, and, and you can get snipered by the enemy. Jesus has purchased our liberty, but you have to enforce it. You do that by staying away from sin, by guarding your heart. Look at three or C. Let the power of the Holy Spirit live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. I make no apologies for the power of the Holy Spirit in this church, nor will I ever. I understand that maybe we're not for some people. I've had people say, you guys freak me out. It's just way too... I don't know. I think it's strange that people would wear a cheese hat and like well below zero, screaming with half their body painted green and the other, paint, other part painted white or whatever, as a piece of pigskin, nonetheless, goes through a set of uprights. Lose their mind, streak on the field, rejoicing that their cheese team won or whatever the case is. And, and, and you can't get excited about Jesus? You would say, well, there's something seriously wrong with that. There's something seriously wrong. There's something seriously wrong. If you can't get excited about the Lord, but you holler and shout at a basketball game, a football game, it's like, oh, no. God bless America. God bless you. Live free. Our country will only be free if you're free. Teach your kids. Teach your kids history. Teach your kids the truth of God's word and live it. Live, live it. Can you say amen? All right, I'm done. We're going to receive communion. Ushers, would you come, please? Can we sing some blood songs? All right, go for it. 
Ushers, just begin to serve. Thank you. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. wrapped wafers and grape juice. Uh, grape juice so we don't exclude former alcoholics and uh, they're all hermetically sealed so there's no germs on those until you touch it of course. And, uh, well anybody can receive communion as soon as everybody's served we'll, we'll partake all together. Wash it for the blood God, this is your opportunity to get right with him. If you've never repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I implore you, I plead with you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled, to be forgiven before you take communion. And for those of you that have already received Jesus, I want you just to examine your heart and see how you're doing. You might find a little sliver in there that you need to bring. Repent of. We, we, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And if you've not received Jesus, just do it now. Just repent and believe on Him. Ask Him to be your Lord. Ask Him to be your Savior. Repent of your sin. And all of us, before you, God, we stand. And we ask you to wash and cleanse us. Forgive us for wrong thoughts, attitudes, or motives right now. Wash us and cleanse us. Forgive us, perhaps prayerlessness, when we didn't heed your voice. As the word says, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, forgive us, God. Wash us and cleanse us. And Lord, we declare, as you said, do this in remembrance of me. We're declaring that by your blood, we're washed and we're redeemed. By your blood, by the 39 lashes upon your body, God, we're healed. By your stripes, we're healed. So we declare forgiveness. We declare healing now in the name of Jesus. And thirdly, we declare your eminent and soon coming return. So we thank you. We declare you wonderful.
great and awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. you got something from the Lord. We'll hope to see you tonight. If we don't, you have a wonderful weekend with your family. Wednesday night is going to be amazing. You don't want to miss Wednesday night. And then Friday night, we're just going to have a revival uh, meeting, just going to flow on the Holy Ghost and a little extended worship, flow on the gifts of the Spirit more. I'll be preaching. Can't hardly wait. It's going to be great. The, the dip net trip is open. Anybody can come, but it's kind of like every man for himself, for lack of a better word. I mean, you got to pack your own stuff, bring your net, bring your bring your hip boots, waders. We go to the Kasilov on the other side of the Kasilov. It's not the side that most people you got to cross over the Kasilov, North Coho Loop Road. There's a there's a pamphlet out there also. Uh, KSM is still taking applications, so you don't want to miss that. It's ramping up. It's going to be the greatest year, King's School of Ministry. Please continue to pray. Let me say this as we close. Please continue to pray for our building project. We're in process with some potential lenders that will fund the whole project, and uh, that'd be great. Or again, you spell 12. I don't know. Ask Pastor Karen. Would you continue to pray? You reach your hands towards that. We'll be moving into that thing December 2020. Can you say amen? Father, thank you for what you've done. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you tonight, 6 o'clock. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.